Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the Digital CXO Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Bizzard, and my guest today is Alan Schimmel, CEO of TechStrong Group, publisher of DevOps.com, Security Boulevard, Container Journal, and of course, Digital CXO, and all the TechStrong live events. Alan, welcome to the show. Hey, Mike. It's a pleasure to be on. It's always, it's always good to be on the other side of the, of the microphone. All right, let's dive in. There's a survey floating around out there. It's from the folks at Insight. They are a solution provider and a reseller, yeah. and they're fairly large and well-known. Um, and it says that roughly 87% of execs have launched some sort of digital business transformation initiative, which sounds awesome. And yet, in my daily life, and I don't know about yours, but I'm not encountering these great digital experiences. I rented a truck and drove it up to New York from Florida, and that was all paper-based. I went to the doctor, and I filled out a lot of forms, and they were all still paper-based. So, Alan, I don't know what you're seeing in your life, but I'm still waiting for this great digital transformation. What do you think's going on? I think you're going to the wrong doctors and truck rental companies, man. <laughs> I got to tell you, I, I've had the pleasure or unpleasantness of renting a truck twice in the last couple of months, much like you moving my sons into college. And one time I did a U-Haul and their systems were terrible. I'm sorry, but they were digital. They were online and they were computer-based, but it was just a terrible system. And then another time I rented a truck uh, from one of the local uh, uh, just rent-a-car companies who also rent trucks. And, uh, and, and you know, come to think of it, I've also rented trucks from Lowe's and Home Depot. And it was all digital, Mike. So I, I don't know. Maybe they do print out the forms for you to keep in the car in case you get pulled over or the truck. But I... You know, I had great experiences and they were definitely digital transformations at play there because it, it really did make it easy. Um, the, the other thing you mentioned was the doctor. Man, I, I actually had to go get my blood work done and then the results discussed. And it was, A, I got my blood works via the MyQuest app before I even got them back from my doctor and had a chance to talk to him about it which from a digital transformation, digital experience perspective is a little scary because I don't know if I'm qualified to read my own blood labs, right? I may think I'm dying when what I have is just, you know, slightly abnormal. Uh, but on top of that, before I even got to the doctor's office, I got a text message that said, hey, fill this stuff out, your pre, pre-doctor's appointment stuff, uh, which will you know, speed you up in the office. So when I came in, I signed in. They had everything all pre-filled out. My my uh, copay was automatically done. So, and I, I think that's the experience with more doctors than less doctors these days. So I do think digital, I mean, think back two years, two plus years ago, Mike. Yeah, there was some neighborhood restaurants that did take out or delivery better, right? The whole concept of curbside, was didn't exist two years ago really for the most part think you know think about how that's changed think about i mean there's just so many aspects of our daily life now i mean when was the last time you went to a pharmacy just last week but yeah that was a better experience <laughs> than i seem to remember it as a kid but i don't remember it 
I still didn't feel like I had this, like I walked in and they knew who I was. I still had to give them my name. They looked it up online. And then eventually, you know, somebody found my um, prescription and handed it to me. But it certainly wasn't like I flashed a QR code and my stuff was just handed to me kind of experience. There you go again. Let's take QR codes for a second. I got to tell you the truth. When those QR codes first came out, I hated them. I never used them. I was like, who the heck would use these things? What a painted PIA these are. But you know what? I go to restaurants now. I scan the QR code and there's my menu on the phone. I don't need a regular menu anymore. Right? Think about how commonplace that is. That didn't exist not that long ago. I'm clearly hanging out in the wrong spots. you got to hang out with me more, Mike. <laughs> Ultimately, do you think we are engaged? All these companies now are involved in what amounts to a digital business transformation arms race because customers will start voting with their feet for different... And their pocketbooks. And yeah. their pocketbooks. We are, but here... and. All kidding aside, here's the thing I think that you got to recognize with this is digital business transfer. There are different flavors, colors, shades, steps in digital business transformation. It, it's not all the, you know, trumpets going off in the background and the rainbows filling up the sky and unicorns flying around. That makes a digital transformation for a lot of, you know, for a lot of businesses and business processes, you know, just being able to check in online, pre-check-in, do curbside pickups, uh, do your commerce online, right? And then pick it up in physically at the store. These are all parts of the digital transformation. Is it the whole way there? No. But it's, but, you know, sometimes digital transformation in the small steps, not just the big leaps. One small step for business, one giant leap. Someone said something like that once, right? Um, but I, I think that's what we, when we think of digital transformation, if we think of it as in those terms, it's a smashing success. And there are companies and, and, once they start down that road, they want to do more and more. I'll give you another quick, for instance, my sunglasses, right? I used to go to expensive sunglass stores in the mall and pay a lot of money for my sunglasses, but I like getting readers in my sunglasses. So I started ordering them online. The first, and I pay a lot of money for, well, to me, a lot of money. If I pay more than a hundred bucks, that's a lot of money for sunglasses for me. And you know, the first couple ones I ordered, I sent them back because they weren't what I imagined they were. or They weren't like what the pictures looked like they were. Well, this sunglass provider I go to now, they have this thing where if you're using your phone or tablet and it says, you want to see what you look like with them? Click here. It actually uses the phone on your phone or camera, takes the sunglasses, of you know, takes your picture and puts those sunglasses on there. It's cool as heck, man. What a great digital transformation story that is. I buy, I buy my sunglasses two at a time now as a result. So, you know, digital transformation doesn't have to result in, in, in you know, 
us achieving unlimited lifetimes or or superconducting electricity or or the stopping of, of global climate change. But incrementally, it's helping all of us every day, and it continues to do so. And it'll get more and more as we go forward. Who's driving this in these organizations? We're running a story on Digital CXO talking about the year of the chief automation officer, but... When I poke around at these companies, there's a chief data officer, there's a CMOs involved. It seems like there's a digital business leader somewhere. Sometimes it's the CEO, sometimes it's somebody entirely different. What's your sense of how do organizations drive this conversation? And do I have to get all these people on the same page? And is that part of the challenge? Well, part of the challenge is everybody makes up their own titles these days, right? So I don't know what their titles are necessarily, though the ones you hit sound like a lot of the right ones. I'll tell you who I don't see it doing, surprisingly, and that's the CIO, right? I think when we talk about digital transformation, we've really seen a cleavage in the technology of organizations. The CIO still runs what we people of our age might call the IT organization, the help desk, the email, the, you know, some of the apps that you're using and so forth. Then there's this whole digital transformation or digital technology team, sometimes led by the CTO, the CPOs, the chief digital officer, the chief automation officer, and they are more but they're tasked more with how, how can digital transform the business? And again, how does the digital transform the business in terms of customer facing? How does digital transform the business in terms of how our employees interact with each other and with customers and with the, you know, the company? Uh, how does digital transformation interact with our suppliers and third-party contractors and partners and channel players and so forth, right? There's so many different aspects of, of digital that, you know, I don't, I don't think one CXO does, is responsible for all of that. I think it's a team effort. I think a CXO or many CXOs, especially on, you know, digital CXO, are tasked with thinking of ways that we can improve these processes and functions, but it, it truly takes a village. Mm -hmm. It takes you, a village. Yeah. We've been talking about the divide between IT and the business for decades now. Do you think that that's going to get better as a result of this digital transformation? Or to your point, are we kind of inserting a layer between yeah. the rest of the business and IT that manages these digital interactions, and that's how the IT organization is going to be managed going forward. You know, I wish I had a rosier answer for you. You may not like what I'm going to say, but I, I think the, the friction between IT and business was there. It has been there for, from forever, right, or near forever. But we always thought of IT as technology. It's information technology. Where, what I think digital transformation has done has inserted a third player, which is the digital transformation player. And, and a lot of times they 
he, she, they, whatever, are more aligned with the business folks, or they have to be if it's going to be successful, more aligned with the business folks than perhaps they are with the traditional IT CIO-led led team. And that's what I'm talking about. I think over time, though, we'll, they'll find an equilibrium there where the digital transformation officer and the digital transformation team, if you will, becomes the, the, the glue or the, the peacemaker, the, you know, the, they bring the yin and the yang of business and IT together mm-hmm. and provide wonder, balance to the force. I wonder how many organizations are kind of reinventing the same wheel over again and we sometimes refer to that as technical debt, but a lot of the capabilities already exist in these organizations. And we talked to some folks who are trying to modernize, say, a mainframe platform to make it more accessible via APIs rather than build yet another transaction system. But then it also seems a lot of organizations just build the same capability over again rather than embrace the mess they just want to start over again or the politics of the situation is too intense that they can't be bothered is it your sense that we may be headed towards a little digital hangover here because we are going to have so many systems that are duplicate yep so you know first of all let me say that the the folks for the most part you know look when we talk mainframe we're talking z system for the most part, between the folks at IBM Z Systems and the, you know, several, more than several companies that are main suppliers of, you know, mainframe software. Um, on the whole, as well as I should mention the Open Mainframe Project, the Linux Foundation. On the whole, they've done a great job of dragging that, that big iron in, into this conversation. And they do a good job. I think overall, though, what we're going to see is as a result of COVID and what COVID brought in our you know, digital transformation efforts and our efforts to, for companies to survive is we, we didn't have time to do sort of that natural evolution. We didn't have time to use the tribal knowledge and use up that technical debt. Instead, what we probably did was pile on. And there is going to be a a reckoning some companies more than others in in some companies but there will be a reckoning where we're going to say wait a second i know we did that because we kind of had to positively had to do it but it's not really the right way to do it it was a good idea it was the goal was right what we did was wrong or we already had a way of doing it we should have just improved on that now we have two three ways of doing it we only need one way yeah, I, I read a story the other day, Mike, some CEO got on and said, look, I know when we hired you, we said it remote is fine and remote forever. But you know, it's not. We, we want you to start coming back to the office. And if you don't like that, you're going to have to leave. Well, you know what happened? A lot of people left. A lot of people, their the resignation started coming in. So, you know, we, all of us, collectively have made decisions over the last couple of years with a little bit of a gun to our head because it had to be done. Um, I, I think we're going to, you know, we'll, we'll sort that out over the next few years and we'll see what made sense long-term and what doesn't. But 
digital transformation isn't going to go backwards. Digital transformation is not going to go away, right? Time waits for no one, and it'll just keep marching forward. You, of course, have been an advocate for DevOps for a long time now. Do you think we're at the point where DevOps becomes the dominant way of managing IT? And I say that because it's uneven still after a decade or more where a lot of organizations have DevOps in one department, not so much in another. Different groups are at different stages. Do you think at some point this whole thing takes DevOps to the next level? So let me let me let me answer this carefully so I don't get arrows. Um, I think DevOps has matured tremendously over the last seven or eight years. I think when we look at agile and DevOps, right, it is the dominant force in how software is developed and deployed and, and operated in many ways, right? In a larger context of the word DevOps. I don't think DevOps takes over IT, though. I think some DevOps concepts around culture and cross-functionality will help IT departments, but they're not, it's not going to help IT departments as much as it's helped DevOps and maybe security and testing, right? But you know, how much of an effect is DevOps going to have in help desk? How much in the, you know, will alerting helps, right? I mean, certainly we've got a great DevOps alerting and, and uh, response tools. But, you know, how much is it going to help in some of those traditional IT, uh, you know, types of jobs and processes that we, we depend on? That I don't know, right? Um, observability, certainly it helps. But I, I think the, the balls, you know, the, that, that one's still a question remaining to be seen and answered. Mm-hmm. To that end, is there also, that goes with that, a talent crisis? PwC has a survey talking about, while there's a lot of interest in digital transformation, it's pretty clear that the biggest inhibitor is we just don't have enough talent to drive it. So what's your sense of where does that talent come from going forward? That's a really good question. So I I don't think this isn't just a digital transformation question. It's we could be asking the same question about cybersecurity. We could be at, quite frankly, we could be asking the same question about COBOL programmers, right? We, we have a tremendous need for COBOL programmers. Where are they coming from, right? Uh, you know, unless we become like a zombie apocalypse or something. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm betwixt and between on this. I did an interview a couple of weeks ago on TechStrong TV with Tyler. I forget Tyler's last name this moment, but he is one of the folks at Dell, um, Dell Investments, Dell Venture Capital. This is the investment arm for, for Dell Computers. You know, and he was citing figures based upon, you know, labor bureau and statistics that the number of developers has drastically increased in the last, let's say five years that the end that their rate of pay hasn't, you know, taken in with, with inflation compared to other professions and other jobs hasn't increased as much as we all think. I, on the other hand, see, you know, I, I know I talked to friends of mine who are paying 
what I consider, you know, quarter of a million, $300,000 to crackerjack developers. The cybersecurity folks, right, are, are hopping around. I think one of the big things about the great resignation is they're resigning for better working conditions and more pay. They're not resigning because they're retiring or going into a different field. And, you know, I, I think market forces at play here will result in some equi equilibrium developing. You know, when Mike, when you and I were kids, besides wanting to play for the New York Yankees, um, you know, think about what were the professions that our peers were pining for because it would make a good money. Well, there was always law and medicine, right? You could be a lawyer or a doctor. Um, well, you go to Wall Street, right? That was where people made money. You had, we had friends who went to Wall Street, were traders, and man, they were driving nice cars and doing nice things. And then by the time I really got into the workforce, let's say in the early 90s, mid-90s, Wall Street was starting to lose its, you know, starting to lose some of the uh, the frost with the bloom off the roads. And people were like, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to be a tech. I want to be a tech millionaire. Right. And how many people jumped into that to go start a company or whatever? I, you know, there was a nursing shortage and then we had a lot of nurses and we had a lot of nurses. There was a teacher shortage and then we had a lot of teachers. And now we're back to a teacher shortage. I, I think market conditions at play here. The problem is, is it takes years. It takes years to, to cycle through these things. Mm. <clears throat> Do you think that AI will play a role in this? I'm bringing up. Oh, absolutely. IBM. I mean, IBM just did a deal with the University of Florida where AI is going to be part of the entire curriculum for the whole school. I mean, not just for the IT heads. It's going to be part of the business administration program. It's going to be part of everything they do. And I wonder if that will level some of this playing field. Well, as a father of two boys at the University of Florida, you know, I, uh, I'm aware of this AI uh, partnership they announced with IBM, actually right down here in West Palm Beach. Uh, earlier last week. Um, I think it will. But just like there are different shades of digital transformation and not all of it is the nirvana that some people think it is and, you know, and the, and the trumpets trumpeting and, and God on his throne kind of thing. AI, again, there'll be aspects of AI that you may not think of as AI. But they're doing things that it'll do things that'll make make up for maybe a lack of human capital. It'll do things that'll make our jobs more efficient, able to scale better. So it may not, I'm not telling you that AI is going to replace the programmers and software is going to write software. Well, that may happen. Maybe not in our lifetime, but in our children's lifetime, right? Um, but, you know, in the next five years, 10 years, it will allow, we will leverage AI to help fill this skills gap. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the man-machine interface is going to be constantly evolving and, sh and shifting. But that's not a bad thing. I think 
we can operate at a different level of scale, but I don't see machines replacing humans anytime soon. No, no, not, mm -hmm. not like I said, not in our lifetime, probably. All right. <clears throat> so what's your best advice to your fellow digital CXOs out there as we look at all these issues? How do I kind of wrap my arms around that and, and turn that into something that's actionable versus something I'm reacting to? Yep. So my advice for digital CXOs is, look, we are, we are in kind of new waters and to a certain extent uncharted. And, but here's what I do know. We're never going to turn the clock back. You're not going to go back to 1950s Eisenhower America, you know, kind of lifestyles or even 1990s or, or 010s. We are only going to go forward from here. I think to capitalize on what's available, you got to take your digital transformation in small steps. You, 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 it's very hard to transform, especially at enterprise level. You can't just transform an entire enterprise entirely <clears throat> pick your spots pick your battles pick places where you know what a little digital transformation will go a long way to moving the needle and it's doable don't pick something that's so wild and, and extravagant and out there you know that it's a phoenix project kind of thing the hail mary pass i, I wouldn't do the hail mary pass you know what? I, I, I craft a game plan where I'm looking to come up with third and short all the time mm -hmm. instead of having, you know, to do the mail, Hail Mary. And, and I think that that's kind of got to be the way to do it. Right. Take what's real in digital transformation and, and see where it makes sense for your organization. Not, you know, you don't have to be the Harvard Business School case study. All right, folks, you heard it here first. Do not boil the digital ocean. Alan, uh -huh. thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Mike. Always great to do this with you, man. All right. And thank you all for listening to our show on the Digital CXO website. You can find complete episodes as well as show notes with the links to the stories we discussed today. And you can follow us on your favorite social media platform and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. We'll see you all next time.